0: Welcome to episode 32 of the Auto Movie Podcast, your source for all things car-related in movies, TV and online, and with me as always is the drift king of this podcast, Martin Spain. Hello, Marty. <laughs> drift king. Does that mean
1: I'm the annoying one who drives a 350Z and gets kicked out of Japan at the end?
0: Yes, your deportation papers are in the post as we speak, unfortunately. Oh, that's a little
1: unfair. But on the other hand, I do get to drift a car up a multi-storey car park. So, you know, there is everything
0: in something. (laughs) First of all, we need to talk about probably our favourite car series of this year, I think it's fair to say. I think so far, yeah.
1: Michael Fassbender's Road to Le Mans Season 2, which we'll come on to shortly, might supersede that. But I love Car Trek. We said it on the last episode. And... All of season two has now been released on Tavares' channel. I've watched it all. Only once. I'll give it another watch through
0: in a bit, I think. But I enjoyed it. How did you feel? I am the same as you. I've watched it once. I enjoyed it. I think the chemistry between the three of them is very good. I think all three of them do the... Here's the cheapest thing that's gone horribly, horribly wrong. And that's a great premise for any video. I think what you said and I'm trying to remember if it was either on the last episode or in some text between the two of us. I did miss some little bit of um not shenanigans that's the wrong word but from season 1 when you you could see Ed Bolin in the background of a shot trying to fix his Lamborghini sort of head yeah, first. I did
1: I missed a little bit of the challenges being a little more scrappy, scruffy, and a little less orchestrated. Season mm. one was, by their own admission, a little bit run and gun making up as they go along. but they all played to their strengths, so they had a wrenching session in Tavarish's shop, which means, you know, all the kits there, they've got lifts they can cock about to their heart's content in an environment they control. The, this series didn't have anything quite as delightfully silly as that. There was there were bits that were silly, but without the delight. Mm. So mm. there's a there's an episode which involves a small doll toy, which no, oh, that sounds terrible. Wait,
0: <laughs> no, it was it a was baby. Like
1: a, oh no, that sounds worse. It there's was a baby a bit, simulator. Yeah, a baby simulator section that I think was a teeny bit ill-advised. Um, but I felt this got better as it went on. I thought mm. it ended pretty strongly, and frankly you know we're not paying for this stuff <laughs> so had to have three like you say three presenters who who bounce off one another really well because they're they're genuinely friends who have very different tastes in cars and very different outlooks on motoring mm. that's one of the secrets of top gear the classic lineup is that they are so very different in what they like about cars and there are many things they disagree about and very few that they do agree about And I think these three, Tyler Hoover, Ed Bolian and Freddie Hernandez, have really got that down and they have their own tastes and the the cars they show up in very much reflect those tastes. But... More excitingly, perhaps, they have filmed a Christmas special. They've just finished completing it. So I can imagine that they're going to take lessons learned on season two and fold that into the Christmas special. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that is. I think I've certainly looked at the view counts for Car Trek 2, and there's plenty that are over the million views mark. So Mm. I think it can, again, be deemed as having been a success, and hopefully they'll be able to do more and
0: maybe mix things up a little bit. Have you seen, and it was in the background of one of Tyler Hoovey's videos, any of the details about the cars that are going to be in the Christmas special?
1: I've seen cars in the background of his videos, but I have no idea. And to be honest, I don't really want to know. I, there was a few spoilers <laughs> about series two that I spotted because I follow them all on Instagram, mm. where things do tend to get posted first for whatever reason. It's the safe social network. And... uh I I would quite like to just be totally spoiler-free, see this coming out. But if you haven't seen Car Trek Series 1, if you haven't seen Car Trek Series 2, go and watch them. If you have seen them, let us know what you thought about it. Just tweet us at at automoviepod. I'd be very interested to see what your thoughts were on whether Series 2 is better than Series 1, what you liked and didn't like about it. But uh, definitely worth checking out. And I thoroughly enjoyed having more of that Car
0: Trek content. Speaking of great content the Motor Film Award nominations have now been released and with it has been a fantastic showreel of the nominations. Yeah, it's a massive
1: supercut which goes to show the breadth of films that are in for a shout at the awards ceremony. And it's quite long. I think it's like seven minutes long or something like that. It's it's amazing. It's a commitment to sit down and just watch clips of stuff, but then you get to see how much and how different they all are. There's, there's some very personal stuff mixed in with, you know, the kind of slightly more gratuitous car-based stuff. There's <laughs> gigantic Hollywood represented in there, quite amongst smaller, more personal stuff, the kind of um, high-gloss, brilliantly produced, but still on YouTube stuff that I come to expect from outlets like Carfection. Hmm. Um there's a real mix it's really worth watching the trailer we're going to link that in the show notes but uh the Motor Film Awards are going ahead for 2020 it's on what did you say November the 20th did you say I think so yes November the 20th it's invite only we're not invited because all we do is comment on other people's shit we don't make our <laughs> own so we don't get to go along but I'm very interested to see who wins the uh Porsche endurance movie that they dropped on us out of nowhere in the summer uh has been nominated for an award and i have to admit i think that would probably be favorite because it tells such a compelling story and mm. you know it's got big porsche budget behind it but there's loads of other stuff i don't remember last time when these awards came around it highlighted loads of car related or car adjacent short films that i should try and see and i think this year's much of the same, so please go to motorfilmawards.com dot com slash twenty twenty, and have a look at the
0: the, uh, the show reel and have a look at the nominations and see how many of those you've seen. And one, the other one that caught my eye on the list was under best journalism film was the car fiction Audi R S six film, which was an interesting choice of Henry Catchpole's work this year, but um, I think very very well deserved as as is. Le Mans 66 brackets Ford versus Ferrari. And speaking of big budget Hollywood films, as I mistimed that shift and uh, things crunch horribly... (laughs) Danger to manifold, Chris! Danger to (laughs) manifold! The BBC has reported amongst other places, I think Variety may have dropped this, that the Fast and Furious franchise is to end in two more films. So if you are wondering... Fast 9 will come out at some point then there is Fast 10 and Fast 11 of course it has to go to 11 doesn't it it's one it more it has to go to 11 which probably means we will have at least one more if not two uh, uh, editions of our Fast and Furious marathon to uh, to to do oh god i think i'm, I'm regretting this already <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do wonder, does this mean that the Hobbs and Shaw sub-franchise spin-off is is a one and done? Are they not going to do any more of those? Does this include the Hobbs and Shaw spin-off? Because I recently rewatched that with my wife and it's absolutely stupid fun. And I'm I'm quite hopeful that they'd make another one. I don't think it did it especially big business compared to the main franchise.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: but I would totally watch another one of those. It's <laughs> unbelievably stupid. Even for it, Fast and Furious, it's unbelievably stupid, but it's incredible fun for it. And I, I kind of miss movies that are incredible fun.
0: <laughs> I, did, I think I said to you it was the Frasier of uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise.
1: <laughs> Perhaps. I think that might be over-egging the pudding. I don't know <laughs> what the phrase is, but that's, that's possibly
0: putting it on a pedestal it can't actually reach. I, I was just looking, and this is quite obscure, but... The longest running film franchises and where it actually sits, there are a lot of film franchises that don't go past ten films. For example, I mean The Muppets has only just reached twelve and Star Trek is at thirteen. Of the list I've got here, can you guess what the long what the longest running franchises in terms of number of films? Bond? Uh maybe. If Bond isn't on that list, then that list is a
1: poor list, because it's got to be Bond. What are they on, 25 now? They're on 27. 27, okay. Is that including like the dodgy ones, like Never Say Never Again?
0: Yes. Right, okay. So they're on 27. However, there is one franchise that has run to more films. This is including like, direct-to-video stuff. Is it yeah. going to be a horror franchise or something? It's not horror, although the, some of the horror ones have run along.
1: Right, okay. Go on, I have no idea. Tell me. There there are 31 carry-on films. Good Lord. Okay, I wouldn't have thought of that as a franchise or However, a
0: series. They're all rubbish. Well, they are all rubbish, but there have also been 32 Godzilla films.
1: Okay, but they're not all in the same universe. Well, no. no. And that's where, you know, what a shared universe, cinematic universe, call it what you will... Um, I don't think Bond qualifies for that either because um, <laughs> the the latest films aside, they've all just kind of existed on their own with very little continuity. But yes, I am I sad it's ending? No, I think they're running out of ideas. I think they maybe should have ended earlier than they have they've continued to go increasingly bigger and bolder and sillier and i think there is actually a limit to what <laughs> what they can conjure on screen in terms of vehicular mayhem just having seen the trailer for fast 9 puts you know yeah. cars with rockets and magnet planes and all that stuff where do they've got two more films to go further so it's
0: space <laughs> but i mean it's it's i think it's quite telling that It will be two more Justin Lin films before he calls it a day. And I think that he will probably take it as far as he can. Does that leave the door open for something more in the future? Absolutely. They're going to do something. They will do
1: a spin-off or they'll carry on with Hobbs and Shaw. They're not going to let this one lie because (laughs) it's a proven money spinner and studios are nothing if not lazy. That's true. That's true. But yes, two more Fast and Furious movies coming of undoubtedly increased silliness and possibly variable quality. Uh, We will report as we find them. uh, Chances of us seeing any of them before 2025 are pretty slim. Um, Uh, But yes, we may well get to see Fast 9. Uh, Interestingly, there was a discussion, oh, was it last week? About a rumour that MGM had shopped the new Bond movie around to the streaming services for some absolutely mm. gigantic fee, like $600 million. And... The longer that cinemas are closed, the less likely it is that all of them will open again. And the longer they are closed and studios have these massive budget blockbusters on their books, I do wonder whether some of them, like Fast 9, possibly like the next Bond movie, are going to come to streaming first and then to cinemas as well. Mm. Just for them to kind of, you know, if they were to sell the rights to Bond films to Netflix for a couple of billion... Let's say, or Apple, people with really deep pockets to go, okay, you can have the rights to all the Bond movies and you can have this new one, Mm. but we want to be able to, we want you to show it in cinemas as well. So people can watch it now, but they'll can also go and watch it in the cinemas. And I think quite a lot of people would do that for these kinds of movies. Um, And I wonder if Fast Nine may end up in that category of going to streaming before it reaches cinemas, Mm. because I do wonder how often cinemas uh, how often studios are going to want to keep pushing these back i don't think that cinemas are going to be back to normal by next april when all of these have kind of been stacked in a holding (laughs) pattern so yeah they're going to go okay well maybe it's now it's november 2021 Mm. and then is it april 2022 that seems crazy (laughs) at some point they're going to want to see a return on the investment even if it isn't the size of return they might generate at the box office That's true, that's true. It makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if these are, these Fast and Furious movies are the end of an era of massive 150 plus million dollar over the top blockbuster action movies that need to make six, seven, eight hundred million worldwide to be considered a success or to even make money back after you factor in all the promotion and everything. I feel like you could do Fast and Furious on half that budget and still make a really good movie because they've done it. Mm. Um, but anyway, you know, this is way too serious for a show that is two blokes ragging on other people's stuff. <laughs> Michael Fassbender's Road to Le Mans is back. Season two aired on... It's first episode on Friday. Um, I want to give a shout out to Sean Cleaver at Slips on Twitter for pointing us in the direction of this arriving in our YouTubes. Um, so the end of last series, he was racing in the German Porsche Carrera Cup and on a road to Le Mans with a sort of a plan with Porsche to get him into what we guessed as correctly the elms so that he could get some endurance experience because you're going to need to know how to do endurance stints in the car share it with a co-driver how to set it all up be aware of what it's like racing with much, much faster machinery around you. Uh, And this kind of, this is a great first episode. It's a teaser of what's to come. So it gives you a little bit of a flashback to season one and his progress the previous year. And then it gives you a little flavour, a little intro to what we can expect from season two. And it looks glorious. There's a little bit more of backstory of of the people in this it doesn't jump around quite so much as it did last season if you go back and listen to our reviews of the road to le mans season one uh we were quite critical of just it dropping you in at the deep end with no explanation with no backstory They seem to be making a bit more of an effort to introduce the protagonists a bit more so his driver coach is given a bit more um interview time sort of camera time effectively they introduce his or their new third driver for the car they're going to be competing in the ELMS, which is Porsche ace Rickhard Leitz. And the final portion of the video is what looks like the best boys' week away ever, <laughs> where they are driving to somewhere in porsche gt2s they get dropped off and it looks like the porsche arctic experience center they're out in the snow they're doing sledging they're doing drifting they're doing all sorts of like team building stuff and i'm sorry i just want to go and do that i want to go i mean i'm sure that a porsche will be happy to take many tens of millions of off you to do it but um b if i have to ask i can't afford it I, that just looks so cool. The kind of team building thing looks great. And I am really looking forward to seeing how this series progresses. Go and watch the Road to Le Mans season two, episode one. It's on the Porsche, I think it's Porsche AG or whatever. It's the Porsche YouTube channel. Um, just Google Michael Fassbender's Road to Le Mans and
0: you'll see it. It looks cracking. There has been a uh, a reimagining of the famous scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris is on a, a boat. He's on he's on, a, he's on a cart. They're doing Twist and Shout. That bit, yeah? No. It's the bit where... Ferris is in his bedroom playing the keyboard. Not that bit either. It's a really good film, isn't it? We should watch that again. <laughs> um, no, where Ferris and Cameron go into Cameron's dad's garage, where it awaits what turned out to be a, oh no, that was the real Ferrari 250 California. That was a real 250 GT California, and then the one they drove was a fake. However, because those are now a squillion pounds, a garage door manufacturer has recreated that scene with a red Jaguar E type and their surveillance system that lets you see when somebody's walked into your garage and stopped you taking your car out for a joyride around Chicago. We've already talked about it for longer than the film actually is. But I really recommend it. It's a good laugh if you like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and we do.
1: Anyway, moving on to things that are maybe... I don't really know how to intro this, to be honest. Chris is going to continue our somewhat <laughs> ill-advised Fast and Furious <laughs> marathon um, that I'm already growing to regret.
0: Don't you feel committed to it now? Like, we just have to keep going. I think
1: committed to it... I chained to it (laughs) somewhat (laughs) dreading getting to the latter movies in the series to it um chris is going to talk about fast five which we've we've mentioned in the podcast before as being a possible high point in the series for many people Mm. and the movie that lifted it from not franchise doldrums but the movie that changed the course of the series from being about Street racing with occasional criminal activity to being about mega heists and vehicular destruction on a grand (laughs) scale. So Chris, take us through
0: Fast Five. Fast Five. So this is an interesting point in the film in the in the franchise. So the story is Dominic, Brian, and Mia, having done criminally stuff, have fled to brazil where they are outside the american law system the film opens with a heist because it's a fast and the furious film which involves them stealing cars off a moving train before they then get to rio they introduce the city they get the gang back together i mean literally they they form this uh, get this group together they plan a heist because the boss of a local criminal syndicate who rules the city and owns the police has a lot of money in a vault, and they're going to steal it. However, what they haven't counted on is the US Federal Marshal sending Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the biggest car you've ever seen to come and retrieve the fugitives, arrest them, and bring them back to the US for trials and sentences and all that sort of thing. I went in not really knowing what to expect because I lost track of this franchise a long time ago. And I can really see now where Justin Lin has been taking the series because his whole thing has always been, one, it's about family, and two, each film has to be bigger than the next one. It has to kind of be more dramatic. It has to be more spectacular. There has to be more to it. Yeah, you just wait till I get to Fast 6. If you think this movie is... (laughs) So, on the family side, Mia's now pregnant. So, Brian has that that responsibility now with with Mia. They've upped the stakes there. They've gone to Brazil where they're reunited with Vince, who wasn't in the last movie for some reason. And they decide that they're going to do this big job. Now, because they're in Rio, they've taken a bit of a Bond approach to it, where, where with every Bond film, I sometimes think that the place becomes another character. So, you have these beautiful sweeping shots of the favelas you have the uh, helicopters circling round the big jesus christ statue you're absolutely in rio and it's a great backdrop i mean a lot of it i haven't i've never seen before i think they make really great use of it when they get the gang back together there's a very Ocean's Eleven moment where Dominic and Brian are still on this balcony going, well, we're going to need a chameleon. We're going to need this. We're going to need a, you know, a smooth talker. We're going to need to get da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And guess what? We're getting the band back together. The one that made me laugh was they said, we need a chameleon. It's like, yes, what we really need in South America is a Japanese guy who's really tall and never stops eating. He'll blend right <laughs> into every situation.
1: What he means is we need someone who is so cool who sits there being <laughs> unbelievably cool and tossing off Yoda-like bon mots yes. that no one will ever consider that he is part of a criminal gang
0: looking to steal money. They'll just go, damn, that guy's cool. <laughs> very true, very true. One thing that I thought was was interesting was reading a bit about this film I think there's one big conflict at the heart of it which isn't story driven so much as it's a production issue which I thought I thought was kind of interesting that Tokyo Drift basically wouldn't have happened without the Vin Diesel cameo at the end because when they tested it as we said in the previous episode people went where's Vin Diesel we need Vin Diesel so they got Vin Diesel in he got the chronicles of Riddick rights or whatever it was And they've now brought him in as a producer on the film. So he got Paul Walker back in. So he got, you know, those two together. So that really cemented the the Fast and Furious franchise. And for this one, he's brought in The Rock to play Officer Hobbs, who's come to, to retrieve them. The perpetually sweaty The Rock Johnson, we should say. Because every single scene that he's in, he's just glistening with sweat for some reason. And... I think this has caused a bit of a problem that they haven't really thought about in advance because Vin Diesel's always been kind of the hard guy at the centre of the Fast and the Furious, and he's the one who's always had the authority. He's always the one that everyone's deferred to. And right from the start of this film, Vin Diesel is the guy who can walk into a crowd of, you know, six burly guys with guns, deck all of them, and drive off a train in a car. So you're kind of like, okay, they're setting him up here to be the alpha. And then a hugely pumped up The Rock turns up in all of his sweaty glory. And he both has authority and he has physical presence that makes Vin Diesel look a little bit soft and squidgy. He looks like a baked potato. Let's not mince words. He does, he does look like a baked potato.
1: And Dwayne Johnson gets a lot of the best lines in this
0: movie, and he delivers them with relish. Spectacularly. I think he, he absolutely steals so many of the scenes that he's in. And apparently, having a bit of a read around this, in any sort of straight fight, a pumped-up Dwayne Johnson should beat the snot out of Vin Diesel every day of the week, and twice on Sundays. However, because Vin Diesel is a producer on the films, the fight sequences between the two of them are very carefully choreographed. One, so Vin Diesel doesn't look any shorter than Dwayne Johnson. And two, there's never any sense that one is beating up the other or one is tougher than the other.
1: Yes, it's a very good point. that Of of the whole movie, which I love, that is probably the most, the disappointing part of it, the bit that's the flattest in a movie that's just full of, you know, great pumped up highs and brilliant Mm. lines and massive action sequences. And that bit feels flat and feels artificial because you're right. There is no way on earth that anyone can resist the man mountain that is Luke Hobbs (laughs) as played by Dwayne Johnson, not even Dominic Toretto. And it just doesn't play right. And that happens, yeah. You know, without going into spoilers for future reviews, that tends to happen when Hobbs is in any kind of fight with any other person in any of the other fast movies.
0: You kind of look at him and go, well, of course he's going to win. Look at the size of him. <laughs> he would beat anybody to a pulp given half a chance.
1: So, I and I feel that they've, they've kind of, yes, he's the guy that energised this franchise and energises this movie Ooh. and allows it to go to the places that it does, I think, but they've also written themselves into a corner because how do you deal with a problem like Dwayne Johnson being in your movie and
0: he isn't the star? How do you solve a problem like Dwayne Johnson?
1: Yeah, because he, he isn't their headline name, mm. but he is the most charismatic thing on the screen. When he's on the screen, you just want to keep him on the screen.
0: <laughs> the other problem that they have with this film is that they just have too many people in it because they've got... Vin Diesel and, sorry, they've got Dominic, they've got uh, Brian and they've got Mia and they've got their story going on. They've got the Brazilian um, crime boss that they're trying to you know, he's trying to kill them and they're trying to steal his money so they've got you know, those characters, you've got his henchmen coming in, you've got the Federal Marshal, you've got, you know them and uh, Hobbs and all of his guys coming in and then you've got this whole gang of the previous characters. And when you look at the writing of it, you look at how uneven, like Tej is not really in it. I think... He um, gets to do what he does best, which is
1: cast, stick some great lines in the background and kind yeah. of glue things together. But he doesn't get an enormous amount to do. He does He does get some of my favourite line. Uh, he does get, what I think, one of my favourite lines right at the very, very end or just favourite moments uh, where... He and Roman are, are, are meeting up to go out for beers after the successful heist. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert, yes. they get away with it. And there's a moment where Roman uh, kind of busts out a particularly flashy car and is all like, yeah, it's the only one in the US. And then Tez just rolls up another one. <laughs> that is very cool. But- Which is wonderful. I do I I I said this before. I love Tej. He's one of my favourite characters of the series because he is the only one that appears to be living in something approaching the real world. <laughs> he is the only one that has a reaction that is appropriate for what's going on. Mm. So when and- when Galgado brings back the handprint. Of crime boss uh, on her bikini bottom, he is the one that asks the question of just how she got that.
0: <laughs> and even Roman Pierce, I, I would love to have had more of him because there are a lot of times that I think, and this is probably going to sound slightly sacrilegious, that you've got Vin Diesel doing the Vin Diesel thing where he's just all talking like da, da 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 da. Also, did you notice they're not drinking Corona during this film? I think they're drinking some Brazilian local thing. Quite possibly. So you've got Vin Diesel doing the Vin Diesel thing. You've got Paul Walker, who seems to not have actually that many lines in this. They have a lot of him sort of standing around and being a conduit that things happen around. And what's great is you've got Tyrese, who has this sass and this swagger and this silliness... That the the bits that he does are actually really good fun, and it, you know he brings a lightness to it. He does. He's the
1: comic relief, and in this at least, he he knows it and he plays up to it, and Ooh. he's got he's walking the line in the right way in the way that he irritated in Too Fast Too Furious he they, they get just enough and they've got enough of other stuff to kind of allow him and the rest of the characters mock him for that instead of embracing it like they did in Too Fast Too Furious mm. they do there's there's the, the sort of they, they bounce off one another I agree there are too many characters in this and too many plot lines to really resolve but they do the very best thing they can to mm. kind of to get it all together uh, I do agree again that Brian probably gets the least to do for a a, you know a major character in the movie up until they do you know the the, the kind of end mega car chase to end well, all car chases at the time where he is one of the two in quote unquote precision drivers <laughs> there is
0: not a lot of precision in their driving at the end let me tell you <laughs> so this was something that i thought was kind of interesting because it starts and ends with this these huge sequences because it's fashion the furious and again spoiler alert the final scene involves them dragging a, a safe out of, uh, well, not a bank, out of a police station and dragging it through the streets. And the first time I watched it, I kind of went, hang on, this is ridiculous. But then, it, it, you know, this is now the world that we're in. We're not, it's not a, a sort of, um, it's not as grounded as the first, The Faster Than Furious was, where the budgets were low and the cars were attainable. We've now got this situation where, the cars are becoming more um more just part of the scenery. They still do some interesting stuff. So when you first see Brian driving, he's in an original GTR I don't mean R thirty two, I mean the original like 80s car that, that first had the GTR name on it. Um and they have these Dodges and they have these these cars which are much more functional, they're much less flash than the earlier films. Apart from the 996 Porsche. The 996 Porsche, which is which,
1: somewhat questionable because I think it's got GT2 written down the back,
0: and it's also got a sunroof. Um, it's terrible. It's it's like a horrible well, mishmash of what people think 911s should look like. But but there's an interesting point with this that on one of the special features on the uh, on the DVD on the Blu-ray, the the sequence where that drives into a set and it kind of does this low-speed drifty, slidey thing to to try and outrun some security cameras. There's a conversation with Justin Lin and with Paul Walker, where Paul Walker's going, look, this is a fast street car. It's got loads of traction. It's got sticky tires. It doesn't drift well at slow speeds. It's all about grip and about speed and about, you know, just being able to rip around these corners as fast as possible. And Justin Lin's like going, well, yeah, but... I want it to look really spectacular so I want it to drift I want it to be more I want it to be you know more exciting I want the audience to sort of see more of the exciting stuff and there's Paul Walker as the car guy kind of going right okay and then like each run the stunt guy does it's like more bigger more bigger more bigger and the the end sequence I was I was I was left a bit not underwhelmed I think my my first watch of it was that point where my brain was like hang on the reality of this doesn't match the the fantasy of it because I've got a bit of experience with safes and I know that you know a safe that size would be 50 tons and it you know wouldn't and but then I did two things one I watched it again It's undeniably a great piece of filmmaking. And there are are a couple of bits of CGI where, you know, it just happens to hit this thing at the right time and somebody slides underneath this tumbling thing over the head and blah, 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 blah. blah. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, particularly things like the Transformers films, where it's like the first two actors setting up character and plot and the third is just big smashy fighty robots and everything else is forgotten. But then... I watched, again, one of the special features where they talked about how they made both the the opening train sequence and the vault heist. And sometimes when you watch behind-the-scenes featurettes, you kind of go, oh, that's how they did it. And it completely just takes all of the, um, the magic out of it, really, for want of a better expression. Whereas watching it with the special features for this, it was completely the opposite the amount of practical effects they did was phenomenal they bought a train to use as a shooting rig and you know with cameras and an air cannon that fired a corvette and then they showed you how they overlaid the actors onto it and the scene with the vault and i should say this vault is probably what eight feet by ten feet by ten feet and there are scenes where these two dodge chargers are pulling it are they our chargers? They're well, um,
1: random, they're like a cop cars, aren't they?
0: Well, you know what? They are actually the cop cars that they used in the drag race. They took two of those, welded a big frame onto the back of it, and painted a the mass black, and there you go. So what they did was they basically created a number of vaults to do different things. So the so there's a vault that smashes a car off a freeway, which is basically an enormous pendulum that looks like a bank vault. They've got you know, when they're dragging this vault along and it's pushing other things out the way, that's a bit of a bank vault welded onto the front of a semi-truck. But what what really surprised me and, and just made my day watching it was a lot of the sequences where they're driving down the freeway and they've got these two cars that are towing this bank vault. The bank vault is basically, imagine the bonnet and cab of a pickup truck with the flatbed cut off and the rear axle mounted just under the seats so you've got this kind of half pickup truck with a frame over it that looks like a bank vault so basically these two cars are driving along this bank vault is driving along behind them and then they've added the cables in post right yeah i like that and you know they have they have a very lightweight one that they can actually tow down the street that weighs you know £30 or something and they've got one that can tumble end over end and it just it brought home to me that yes, the Fast and the Furious franchise is becoming fantastical in a sense, it's becoming almost a superhero franchise in a sense but they're still doing that thing where it's like, how can we make it bigger? How can we do more? But how can we actually do it? And surprisingly, rather than spoiling it it actually t- took me from being a bit down on it and a bit like, oh, this is just all silly CGI, and it's just somebody, you know, in a pitch meeting going, okay, what if they're, they're towing a bank vault and it takes out a, a bus station and they go around a corner and it whips them? Because if you go round a corner towing a bank vault and it's got momentum, you're going wherever the vault is going in real life. But they've gone from that to actually being quite interesting about it and being quite um, you know being able to sort of pick it apart almost and you just appreciate the amount of effort and thought that's gone into the shooting and then the editing adds a whole extra layer of tension and you know the music and it builds to what what I really like is a very dramatic human moment as well it's not just you know smoking the bandit run off into the distance it is there's a moment that happens that actually transcends the cars. And I came away being surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I thought as a film, it worked well. I think it had much more of a car theme in it than I expected. And I think as a piece of filmmaking, I think it's, as I said, it's not without its flaws. I think I would have been happier if there'd been less Ted, more... Roman no you can't say that mortgage i well this is this is for me this is for <laughs> me but you know in the scope of what could have been an awful overblown overindulgent film they've actually pulled something out that has both heart it has interest it has character development you know th- what they did with uh, Hobbes' character i'm not surprised he's he's had his own spin-off and yeah i I really enjoyed it. It's a great film for the franchise. It's it's
1: fantastic mm. fun. And when we finish talking about Fast 6, we should talk about where these go into our separate personal rankings mm. of the Fast and Furious franchise. But first, let's go through what came next. And if you think that Fast 5 was a bit big and silly and stupid, <laughs> then you have no idea what's in store for you for Fast 6. So... As Chris has said, the franchise kind of had an injection of nitrous, if you will, with Fast Five. (laughs) Very good. Which was just this absurd monster of a movie that that kind of made an enormous amount of money and pushed the whole thing in a different direction where the the studio, I think, admittedly said they want to go in the way of sort of more heist movies and, and sort of getting away from the core street racing. And Fast Six... Takes uh, bits of fast four and bits of fast five and kind of tries to tie the whole thing up into one big story uh, with limited success, it has to be said. Mm. But it still goes for it. We, the, the credits give you a, a. Right at the start of the movie, give you sort of. Pricey highlights from all of the previous movies, so you get early days of of Paul Walker and Vin Diesel in the first movie, a, a little thinner, um, <laughs> a little younger, but it's kind of fun seeing seeing them evolve through that in the in the at the start of this movie. The story is, as ever, a complete load of bollocks. Uh, Basically, (laughs) the street racing, carjacking A-team that is what they have evolved into are all in retirement, millionaires living in far-flung tropical hideaways where they cannot be extradited for the crimes and destruction that they caused in Rio. And so they are brought out of retirement by Luke Hobbs, who brings them the news that one of the homies thought long dead was (laughs) photographed, and that is Letty. We did drop this very unspoilery spoiler that Letty is not, in fact, dead. Uh, And the, the way that The Rock draws them all out of retirement is by waving a photograph of Letty working for a criminal gang under Dom's nose, and Dom's like, rrr, rrr, and uh, then decides. Everyone else deciphers that as meaning. Let's go and get Letty back. <laughs> Um, She was presumed killed by a drug lord in Fast 4, which is what all that drama was about. And then she shows up alive and they all go back to try and persuade her to regain the memory she's lost and join the family again. There is an awful lot of family. If you think Vin Diesel was sort of in Fast 5, there's even more of it in Fast 6. The stuff with Dom and Letty, for all that I know fans love these characters and they want to see them happy, it's so tedious in this movie because this movie takes the overblown action of Fast Five and then squares it. So for Fast Six, we're in London. A lot of the action happens in the city centre. There's tube where there's just crazy fights. There's sort of slightly gritty night-style sweeney car chase action going on (laughs) we've got a new bad guy in the shape of luke owens um I can't even remember his name. He's so unmemorable. It's not it's not a great franchise for bad guys. I think the guy in in Fast 4, the sort of drug lord guy was probably the most effective. Mm. And, you know, I can't even remember what it is that this bad guy is um is after if I'm honest with you. <laughs> Um, Owen Shaw, that's his name, because he is the brother of soon-to-becoming Deckard Shaw, Jason Statham's character, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So... (laughs) Uh, Owen is Owen Shaw is is trying to get you know some thingamies so that he can do stuff. I think there's weapons of mass destruction. He needs some bits to make a giant evil Lego set, and I I don't really know what he needs, but he has a cool car that is basically a a like a door wedge with wheels on it and a Judd V10. <laughs> Yes which is described by Brian as a uh, an endurance racing diesel at one point, which is one of the most egregious cock ups <laughs> in in this franchise, but yes, so they're all in London, they're trying to get Letty, who is working for this gang, led by Owen Shaw. The gang is basically like a mirror image of the the family. <laughs> It's got, you know, there's there's even a moment where Roman goes through all of the mugshots and goes, well, look, he's like you and he's like you and he's like you, Tej. He's basically an (laughs) African in a a beanie. That's just you. But they don't do anything because if you've got the size of cast that you have with this and almost everyone's back, obviously you've got Dom and Brian, you've got Roman, you've got Han, you've got Tej, you've got um, Giselle and you add to that luke hobbs and his new partner riley who's played by gina carano who you just know because she's been cast there is going to be some mad-ass fighting scenes and there are <laughs> and they do not disappoint she gets into a, a huge sort of fight with michelle rodriguez in the uh, and and it is proper brutal stuff it's very very well done but it goes on for far too long anytime there's a fight sequence between han and roman and one of the generic faceless bad goons in the, the bad guys gang <laughs> and he goes on for what feels like 20 minutes and he is obviously a, like some kind of martial arts superman and love them as we do han and roman are rubbish at fighting and so they just get their asses handed to them <laughs> for what feels like 20 minutes and
0: then they agree well, well let's never speak of this again it's interesting with fast five there's actually a noticeable step that the films are getting longer they are about 20 minutes longer each from fast 5 onwards yeah i think this one might actually
1: be the longest one it's like 2 hours and, and 15 or something like that it's it's quite it could have been cut down but yeah, like you say with with a cast this big to give everyone something to do to give everyone moments they give no time whatsoever to the bad guys the motivations the characters or anything like that you know Owen Shaw is just a guy who wants a thing we don't know why we don't really seem to care (laughs) why um we don't know who any of his team are and it doesn't really matter because they're all basically cannon fodder to get run over or, or thrown out of planes or buildings and stuff like that you don't get any of that sense but What you do get in the movie is pretty good, I think, some pretty good dramatic tension out of The Return of Letty, because Brian feels incredibly guilty about having been the person that told her to go undercover with the gang that ostensibly killed her in Fast 4. He was the guy that put her there, and so he feels incredibly responsible for the fact that she is um, now working for the enemy. And to the point where he actually turns himself in to the US authorities so that he can go and uh, gather some intel on on the gang and, and try and find out why Letty's working for them and what happened. Um, and Paul Walker gets some really good dramatic moments between him and Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto, which land quite well that are actually sort of some proper actually acting going on there I absolutely love the sort of very shy slightly sweet courtship that Han and Giselle have where they're always together and they're always saving one another when they're introduced they're having um, like noodles in in Tokyo and then a bunch of presumably Japanese police turn up and they reach for guns from one another's like belts and and sort of stand up like back to back with one another and then reach for more guns and throughout the movie, you know, particularly she's saving him or or doing stuff th- for him and there's a brilliant moment where Han is talking to Roman and meanwhile while Giselle's off doing cool stuff and Roman says. Hang on a minute! You don't want to lease this model; you want to buy, <laughs> which is a really nice turn of phrase for a series that can can do that doesn't always do well by its female um, representations, and it, it's played really sweetly and really genuinely. Um, and I really like that because, like you say, this movie, fast movies are generally not particularly sweet and subtle. <laughs> it's just a nice note for them to have a nice character mm. beat. Mia inevitably is is kind of sidelined with kids, and then she gets fridged by getting you know, captured by the bad guys, and it's all a bit bit rubbish, and she doesn't get to do much, unfortunately. And then there are the stunts and the action and really this is where the franchise if you want to look at it this way either went off the rails or completely abandoned any pretense of reality there is a scene where the bad guys are driving along in a big truck and the good guys are trying to stop them from driving along in a big truck and then they use a wire across a little canyon to stop it and the wire stops the little truck in front and then a tank explodes out of the big truck and (laughs) proceeds to then rampage along a French highway because it looks like the highway from the transporter. I don't know if it's actually French. I don't know what it's meant to be. I kind of lost track at that point. Uh, But this (laughs) tank with the bad guys in it is busy driving over loads and loads of pedestrians and civilians and you know there's serious casualties in this. There's no attempt to disguise the fact that these these bad criminals are just driving into other people's cars and flattening them with this giant tank um, which is controlled by touchscreen uh, I'm pretty sure that tanks aren't controlled by touchscreen but this <laughs> one is and again Tej is the one going ah uh, hang on guys they've got a goddamn tank we need, a, we need we don't need a plan B we need a plan we need a new alphabet we haven't got <laughs> enough plans they have a tank and those reactions they crack me up every time but yeah the this is sort of part A of the two part vehicular destruction that comes along towards the end of the movie where it abandons all pretense of being a drama and just goes into like 12 year old who's raided the kitchen's Red Bull supply (laughs) because there is a, a sort of end game chase on an airport where the bad guys have got their evil Lego set assembled in the back of a, of a Russian plane and they're driving the plane down the runway and the good guys are trying to catch up with it in cars and do stuff and, This sequence goes on for probably 25 minutes, and some clever people on the internet have worked out that in order for the sequence to go on for 25 minutes, the runway needed to be something along the lines of like 28.85 miles long. (laughs) The longest runway in uh, the longest paved runway at the time was calculated being something like 3.42 miles. So, I mean. (laughs) Yes, we get it, dramatic license for lengthening the sequence, but it does drag on a bit. It's so ridiculous. Uh, and very sadly, they kill off Giselle as part of this sequence. She sacrifices herself to save Han, again saving him. And this is the movie that then leads into, the in the timeline, Tokyo Drift, because Han is, is heartbroken about this and, and retreats back to Tokyo to go and drift. And right at the very end of the movie, and this is not spoilers because, man, this is this thing's been out forever. If you haven't seen this <laughs> now, then I can't be spoiling anything for you. After the credits roll, um, you get a little sort of post-credit sting Avengers style where they re-show the sequence where Han dies in Tokyo Drift, only it's revealed that a Mercedes drives into him and that car is driven by none other than Jason Statham playing the bad guy Owen Shaw's brother, Deckard Shaw, and he deliberately killed Han and he phones up Dominic Toretto and says something like, you know, you don't know me, you're about to.
0: Wait, 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 no, 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 no.
1: Do the voice. No, I'm not do, doing do it. Do the voice. Do the voice. It always rains at Le Mans. No, wait, that's wrong. it <laughs> Toretto, you don't know me. You're about to. You slag. You slag. <laughs> yes, so they're, they're sort of oh, messing with the timeline a bit to try and retrofit in his entrance as the bad guy for Fast 7. We should probably not mention that he then turns into a good guy in Fast Eight, and then uh, it is all revealed to have been a setup in Fast and Furious Presents Hobson Shaw. But anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> Fast Six is the moment where the franchise goes ballistic in terms of the the destruction, in terms of the sort of abandoning of any kind of physical normality. But there's still plenty to enjoy. There's the, the sight of this, like, like I said, that crazy flip car, which is four-wheel steered, so it can kind of change lanes super fast. And the production actually built a car to do this. Mm. Um, and some stunt drivers had to learn how to not only have it steer with the front wheels and the back wheels steering in opposite directions, but then also steering in the same direction to let you do those sort of really crazy and incredibly fast um, lane changing. Again, I think they did an awful lot of stuff for real. I think the tank is actually real, but with some sort Mm of Hollywood addenda attached onto it. There's the fight scenes are really good. There's a great fight scene um, in a prison cell with with Brian and a couple of bad guys, including the bad guy from from Fast Four. That's really Brutal and well done in it, it makes you feel like, yeah, this is absolutely happening, and they don't they don't skimp on it the um The fight between uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Gina Carano is great, but it goes to, goes on too long um, mm. for for my money but there's there's great stuff in there the stunts are still stunning because they're done for real the vehicle stuff like i said it's it's less important yes dom does pick up inevitably some kind of dodge challenger
0: <laughs>
1: or charger i forget which i've kind of forgotten what the what the cars are there are what i think are some really nice black bmw e60 m5s in an early car chase through london and i'm amazed they found enough of them that were able to run
0: and not just <laughs> shit themselves because of rod bearings <laughs> Did you know, according to IMDb, they got a fleet of E60 M5s. He says quickly, trying to scroll the iPad fast enough. (laughs) They got a fleet to do one sequence, and they've pretty much destroyed every single car to the point that cars that appear on screen, close-ups or action shots are not BMW E60 M5s. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean, the thing is, it's
1: very hard, unless you're a proper car nerd, it it's very hard to tell they're actually E60 M5s. There is a brief glimpse of the wheels that make you go, yep, that's it. You know, there's, there's more destruction of L322 Range Rovers, which always makes me sad because they're so cool um there's there's all sorts of stuff there's i mean dom drives a, a 1970 plymouth barracuda which is the one with the big ass wing on it <laughs> which looks really nice but it's pretty crap and brian drives a um it's a ford escort it's like a mark 1 escort uh, mexico or something that's mark all rallied two, up I think, is that? it
0: is I it maybe it's a mark, mark 2
1: no it's got the dog bone front i think that's a mark 1
0: i i, I will i will defer to your uh, your, your your judgment then <laughs> I don't know. That's probably the coolest
1: car in the movie for me, to be honest. There's none of the baubly spangly stuff, really. Like Mm. you say, as with Fast Five and even with this, um, this is more utilitarian stuff to just drive through walls and and all sorts of, (laughs) of crazy stuff. What Flash there is, is kind of done like uh, Gone in 60 Seconds it it drives on screen slowly it drives off screen and doesn't do anything because it's too expensive to do movie traces (laughs) with them instead they'll do it with the cheap M5s because they're all broken so do I recommend watching this if you're kind of going yeah I want I want to watch an action movie of the latter fasts fast five aside of the latter Fast and Furious movies, this is still fun. And if you have any kind of investment in the Fast and Furious family, um, <laughs> if, if you like these characters and you want to see them progress and do things and, and kind of move on, this is quite fun. There's some good drama in it. There's some really interesting uh, kind of attempts to move them on, which then get tragically undermined when they kill Giselle, which pisses me off. I have a feeling that they can't bring her back. There are very few People in the franchise that haven't survived death, but I don't think they can bring her back because Gal Gadot's possibly too big a star to bring into the franchise now. Yeah, isn't she Wonder Woman now? She is, and she's a very good Wonder Woman. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure they bring her back, which is a shame. But we know, even though this might suggest otherwise, that Han is alive and comes back for Fast Nine, which sort of again kind of undermines the drama of this, knowing that. But it's it's entertaining and it's still connected enough to the earlier films to make you want to watch it without twisting itself in knots? I'd say yes. And in terms of my personal ranking, I still think it's Tokyo Drift, The Fast and Furious, the first one. Then I might go Fast Five. No, am I going to? No, actually, I'm not. I'm going to go Tokyo Drift, Fast Five, first Fast and Furious, then Fast Six, and then Fast Four and right at the very bottom, Too
0: Fast, Too Furious. I think I would agree with that. I I think Fast Five has really surprised me. Is it a better film than Tokyo Drift? Possibly. I think personally, I would put Tokyo Drift at the top. I I know we've talked about that Tokyo Drift is kind of the Marmite of the franchise, but... Very much so. And I think that if you are a car
1: person... Tokyo Drift stays at the top if you are an action movie person Fast Five is always the one that's at the top Mm. we've talked about the, I think Empire did a ranking of the Fast movies and, and other people have done it I think Vulture have done one as well and it's very easy to see that if it's been written by a car guy or not Or a girl, for that matter. And so, yes, I think it does divide people. Fast Five is, on the face of it, a much better movie in every possible respect than (laughs) Tokyo Drift. But we love Tokyo Drift for very specific petrolhead reasons that elevate it above
0: Fast Five's noise and flash and sweaty muscles. Agreed. So let's put those to bed for today because... We've still
1: got more of these to do. I know, I can't talk about you know, potato head Dom and, and <laughs> sweaty baby oil hobs anymore. Let's move on to uh, what has Henry Catchball been up to this week?
0: And this is a bit of a surprise in that it's a road review of the Lamborghini Diablo SV, which is one of those cars that I'm aware of, but I've never. I don't really ever think about. Watching the video learning about the quirks of it and all that sort of thing, it absolutely passed the auto-movie test, and I now want one really quite badly.
1: I've always liked the Diablo because the Diablo is... It's not as... Compromises the Countach, and it and I was never into the Countach because I wasn't really into cars in the eighties, so I kind of came to this slightly later. And the Diablo was always the the Lamborghini that I thought, yeah, that's damn cool. Although I think mine might be the even later than the the SV. Um, mm. The um I'm trying to remember the one something something thirty. That that's that's the the one I really really like. But anyway. I really enjoyed this because it's beautifully made, like all of these, but I mean, they've absolutely outdone themselves. There's a transition from the SV as a poster on a bedroom wall into Henry walking into frame of the poster to drive the SV. That is one of the best things I've seen. I mean, you you can kind of tell (laughs) what's going to happen, but it's done so beautifully and it's... It's putting creativity where you. we have no real right to expect it. <laughs> yes. In a, in a YouTube review of a car that you can't buy, unless you're extremely rich, you're never going to get to drive. You're probably never going to get to see one. To have Carfection come out and do a, a drive and review of something like this is a rare treat, because normally... With the way the world works of new cars and and progress, it's going to be. It might be a racing car if they get invited to drive something like the Impreza Mm. um, WRC from from a while ago. But generally, it's going to be. You know, here's the new Mercedes AMG, and here is the new Land Rover Discovery. This is just something apart from that, and it's all the better for it and you get the sense that this was a poster car for henry so this is i mean everything they do is of an extremely high quality but i think this is one of the standout pieces and i wouldn't be surprised to see this being what they put forward for the 2021 motorfilm awards mm. assuming they don't top it with something you know this <laughs> this feels quite personal in a way that's maybe some car reviews don't uh, so i i Cannot recommend this highly enough, and we yeah. say that about an awful lot of catchpoles work for car Faction, But this this is just such a lovely change of pace,
0: it is. And like you say, the thing that struck me was that it's just you know, what it actually reminds me of is the um, Danny McCaskill video. Was it Imaginate? Where he's riding a kid's toy set.
1: Yes, I know what you mean. It it has that childhood feel of dream realised. Mm. Uh, and I put, and I would put, and I know this is totally off topic for a podcast about cars. I would put Imaginate up as one of the most inventive biking films there has ever been. Absolutely, it is. It. I mean, it's the thing for me that I would imagine justified whatever it is that Red will pay him. <laughs> because yes some of the videos he did prior to that were were great but Imaginate is the thing where they went we'll give you budget and we'll trust you and he paid them back in spades definitely and, and everything he's done since then has been on top you know taking that kind of theory forward and this is what I would love to see more from Carfection. Either way, if you haven't seen this this lovely little slice of nostalgia, please go and watch it. Um, mm. Right, we've been yammering on for ages, so we need to whip through our YouTube videos. So what have you been watching? So
0: my video pick for this week is from Misha Terudin's channel, a channel that we both both like and both enjoy. And this is also an 80s car in, in that it's a Mark II Ford Fiesta that has been stripped and carboned and lightened to the point that it's now a 1,000 kilos wet and it has 330 horsepower. And if you don't like Mark II Escorts, it's worth watching just for Misha's stream of consciousness, almost pace note instructions, which if you've never seen it before, the idea of driving the Nürburgring while somebody is constantly telling you where to point, where to go, where the thing, to da 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 must just be mind boggling. My channel is Johnny Carpervert Smith, has kind of has recently got back into his YouTube game. I think we've mentioned it before, but he's now rebranded as the puntastically brilliant The Late Break Show, which, as a name, I think is genius, but also his content is really good, it's really varied, it's really quite quirky it's not what you're going to see anywhere else and it is absolutely him through and through with his enthusiasm if you like car content especially if you like more than just drives of the new the latest blah 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 blah, blah. go and check it out
1: i want to check that out i did watch some of his stuff when he went kind of pushed his car pervert moniker Uh, And did a few videos there, but I didn't keep watching. So maybe I should go back and check the late break show. Um, I'm going to go with something I think maybe a few of you might see have seen. Uh, Formula One recently visited the Nürburgring for one of the rounds of its somewhat condensed European-based 2020 World Championship, and in doing so, of course, all the Formula One teams take the opportunity to have their drivers drive the Nordschleife as opposed to the somewhat sanitized Grand Prix circuit that they end up racing on and I know Mercedes did a video with George Russell in an AMG GTR and Renault did a video with Daniel Ricciardo and who's his teammate yeah Esteban Ocon in a Megane, uh which was funny for how slippy the track was and how much it worried Daniel and <laughs> Alfa Romeo got on the the bandwagon by sending Kimi Räikkönen and his teammate Antonio Giovinazzi around in an Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. Uh, I think that's what they were around in, wasn't it? Yep. This is hilarious because this is about the most animated I think I've ever seen Kimi outside of uh, the car when, you know, when someone's crashed into him or, or driven. <laughs> you know. He is he's on top Kimi form having watched that Daniel Ricciardo video where they drive around a very soggy slippy Nürburgring and they have a number of moments which clearly scare him enough that he's like oh I'm not going to do anything you know these are Formula 1 drivers with (laughs) reflexes and skills to match but he's clearly scared himself enough that he's not going to do anything too too aggressive Kimi drives around deliberately provoking the car wobbling it because his passenger um, Antonio Giovinazzi is clearly not a very good passenger (laughs) Kimmy has one arm just kind of idly resting on the door. He's, he's he's on a Sunday drive, but it's a quick Sunday drive. It's very clear that underneath his kind of calm, taking the Mickey exterior, he knows the circuit and he knows the circuit quite well, well enough to feel confident pushing the car where you can push it and, and to dick around a bit. And it's joyous to see the side of him that you never get to see during F1 broadcasts because he's been around forever. He's been asked the same questions a million times and he just doesn't really engage and doesn't appear to be willing to to just be himself in the paddock in the way that he mm. is in this movie, in this, this video. And it's, it's brilliant to see. And it's even more fun when they swap seats after a lap uh, and Jovanazzi has a go and he doesn't know the the circuit as well. And, and he's far more nervous and Kimmy's just kind of idly sitting there chatting away being, <laughs> being Kimmy. It's, it's clear that they get on really, really well. It's clear that Kimmy's having a great time in what could otherwise have been quite a dull promotional chore. So definitely worth a watch if you're a, if you're a Formula One or a Kimi fan or a Nurburgring fan. One of the more
0: interesting lap videos I've seen. It's also quite funny having seen the reaction of people who drive and race at the Nurburgring on the Nordschleife, and all these Grand Prix drivers turn up and they go, "Oh my god, isn't it slippy?" And all the locals are like, "Yes, yeah, that's what it's always like." <laughs> Now, Your channel, uh, sir.
1: My channel uh, is one I discovered it literally, I think, just before we came on air, to be honest with you. But I, I watched a few vi- a few clips from it and went, oh, this is going to be a good one. This is Mighty Car Mods, which is an Australian-based channel. Um, and I, don't, uh, I haven't chosen this just because one of the presenters is called Marty. Uh, one of the other <laughs> presenters is called Moog, which isn't even a name. Uh, but they are a, a pretty big channel, if I'm honest, but they, they sell themselves as the number one DIY automotive show, teaching you how to modify and performance uh, modify the performance and look of your own car. Loads of tutorials, road trip adventures all over the world. Um, it's another one of these sort of automotive project channels, but they've got some really interesting cars they're working on. You know, they've done a Mark 7 Golf, they've done a, a, a two-door WRX STI, the sort of classic Evo 9, but there's a Nissan GTIR, which is a sort of, somewhat forgotten Nissan performance car.
0: Fatally flawed in its own way, but still very interesting. Isn't that the Pulsar? Yes. Which, if I remember rightly, was a small sort of micro-sized car, but that had a four-wheel drive transmission in it?
1: Yeah, and some kind of giant um, turbocharged engine with an intercooler that didn't really cool. It was known (laughs) known colloquially as an interwarmer because it didn't really... (laughs) So it was never actually that successful for racing, but it looks badass with the sort of bonnet full of events. But the video that caught my attention is the fact that the one of the presenters has just bought a, an S two Lotus Exige, uh, and there's a great video about um, bringing in two English. Lotus experts to talk around his new car and point out all the things that were standard on it, all the things that have been added by the previous owner and basically reveal their expertise on the lotus platform It's very engagingly presented, and you know the car I have a particular interest in lotuses at the moment because i'm I'm kind of itching to try one and I think there's a whole bunch to find from this channel. If you like build projects and, and you know, Tavares isn't doing his 675LT quickly enough for you or he <laughs> hasn't bought enough ratty Mercedes, then give Mighty Car Mods a look because I think there's some really cool stuff on here. It reminds me a lot of, what was it, Speed Academy? But mm. they've got the kind of views that Speed Academy Speed Academy could only dream of, which is a shame because I think Speed Academy is a brilliant channel that deserves a zero on the end of all of their video views, but they're just not getting it for whatever reason. It's not landing, uh, and these guys are like an Australian Speed Academy, so yeah. uh, you know I can't really give a better recommendation than that because I love Speed Academy. So, Mighty Car Mods, check it out and with that i think we have come to the end of this third part of our fast and furious marathon uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard then please go and give us a good review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts. it helps an enormous amount Shed uh, share the word <laughs> spread the word on twitter <laughs> don't shed, shed the, the word, word. no <laughs> spread the word on twitter let us know if you've enjoyed an episode or if you disagree and you think that you know fast 5 is a complete pile of cack and everyone should be going for too fast too furious at the top of their lists <laughs> you know you're insane <laughs> (laughs) you're wrong but we'll we'll give you the time of day so until next time this is us telling you to drink corona and live your life a quarter mile at a time
0: (laughs) until next time everybody